You're listening to a Thorn Creek Weekend Message Podcast. For more audio content and other resources, visit thorncreek.church messages. Yeah, put your hands together. Oh my word, that was so much fun. I just smile when I see that video. That's all I do. My heart is so full. You know, my dream has always been that Thorn Creek be the kind of church where if we weren't here, the city would miss us. Uh, We're not a fraternity with a steeple on it. That's not what we're about. We're not a holy clique. That's not what we're about. We're about teaching people, showing people who Jesus is, and and taking our faith in action. So uh, thank you, all of you. How many of you were part of Feed 5000 in any way? Shape, raise your hand. God bless you. So many of you were part of it. Thank you so much. Emily, were you part of it? Raise your hand if you were part of it. (laughs) Um, we're, we're grateful for, uh, for everyone who participated in it, and, uh, and thank you so much. Um, I just feel like we can quit right now and say church was great, and uh, it, was, it was good. So uh, let's pray, and we'll jump into this series here. Uh, God, thank you for your grace and your love. We're, we're so humbled, Lord. Oh, Jesus, we worship you. We worship you, Jesus. There's nobody else like you. I'm so grateful, God, you're a God of grace and compassion, and you're a God who gives not only second chances, but three and four and a million chances. Oh, we, we love you, God. And now, Lord, I, I first of all, I just, by your grace, uh, you know, Lord, I, I, I pray that you use me in a special, extraordinary way. You know, throughout the night, God, I, I've been working through this message on my, on my bed, and, and, and you've been with me, and and uh, preparing my heart again, Lord, and I want to be a faithful instrument of righteousness for you, a faithful servant, um, your bond servant, Lord. And uh, by your grace, may your Holy Spirit work in me and through me. And may the words that come out of my mouth be exactly what you want everyone here to hear, Lord. And, and more than anything, God, I, I pray that every soul here has an encounter with you, every sinner and saint. I pray that every soul has an encounter with you. I pray the person who feels like uh, the roof is going to cave in on them because they're at church, I pray they hear a word for you. And I pray the person who's been a Christian their whole life or who's already critical about the service, would you speak to that person already? Jesus, we need you. All of us need your grace. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. We all need God's grace, don't we? You know, all these people that we fed, the turkeys and everything, we're not that different from them. We're not that different at all. We all have our own challenges and struggles. So the, over the next four weeks, can you believe Christmas is like coming? Everybody ready uh, for Christmas? Whatever ready means. I always get a kick in. Are you ready? No, I need to go shopping. Usually that's what we think. I probably need to do some shopping. But um, I, 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 uh, I can't believe Christmas is already here, here. What we're doing is we're doing this series called Life BC, Life Before Christ, and we'll be looking for four weeks, we're going to be looking at this scenario of what if, what if uh, Jesus had never been born? What would our life look like if Jesus never had been born? What would our relationship with God look like if Jesus never had been born? What would our spiritual life look like? And, and as, I, as I work through this life BC um, scenario, I'll be looking at different places in the Bible, in the Old Testament, and, um, and honestly, I, it makes me more grateful already for Jesus. Last night, I preached this message, and, and I'm like, I want to get in the New Testament, <laughs> because life without Jesus is not good. Life without Jesus and who I am without Jesus is not good. So my prayer is, 
you fall more in love with Jesus. You know, you have a God who can take care of your problems right now, whatever's weighing on your mind. You have a God who cares about you. You have a God who knows you. Turn to the person next to you and just tell them God knows you. Can you do that? God knows you so well, knows you better. Husbands, he knows you way better than, than your wife does, and wives, he knows you way better than your husband does. And, and that's this God who knows you, loves you, and he knows your propensity. He knows the way you're wired. He knows your spiritual gravitational pull. He knows your spirit. He knows who you are when nobody's around. He just knows you, and he loves you, and he loves you and cares about you wants to have this relationship with you thing. So over the next four weekends, we're going to look through this, this uh, question of, um, of uh, what if Jesus had never been born as we work up to our Christmas Eve services, which you definitely don't want to miss. I'll talk more about that here in just a little bit. Today, uh, the, the title is I Determine What's Right. So I want to start off with this question, how do you determine what's right? You don't have to shout it out or anything, but how do you determine what's right. For some of you, um, maybe it's based on your feelings. If I'm feeling it, if I feel good about it, then I'll, I'll do it, you know, kind of thing, if I feel good. Uh, others of you might say something like, I let my heart guide me. You let my, I let my heart guide me. So as long as my heart guides me, that's, what I, that's how I determine what's right. Others of you, maybe it's just about kindness. If it's kind, then it's good, then it's right, or whatever it might be. Um, or, or maybe it's something else. Incidentally, like, like just shout out, you know, tell, tell me what you think about this. Is lying right or wrong? Lying. <clears throat> Why? Is throwing rocks at someone right or wrong? You guys are like in church, so you're like saying all the right answers. Why, why is it wrong? Is stealing right or wrong? How do you know it's wrong? Why is it wrong? I like what our, our youth pastor, uh, Nick, who's, who's doing a phenomenal job leading us in worship, isn't he? He's doing a great job. Make sure you just tell him how much you appreciate him. But um, before he goes off on his youth trips, you know, he has all the students, the, uh, the junior high students and high school students are all together, and he has them in a circle, and, and, and this, these are, this is like his only rule. He says, okay, if you're about to do something and you're wondering, should I do this, then don't do it. That's what he tells them. If, and I think that's a really good rule to, well, for most people to follow. <laughs> Should I do this, then don't do it. And that's a, that's a good thing. So um, our, as we think about right and wrong and, and this kind of thing, uh, Pastor Jeremy put together a video. It's a TikTok video. Anybody familiar with TikTok video? Yeah. <laughs> well, you got to be young and hip to know what a TikTok friend. Anyway, my, my kids keep me, keep me in the loop. But it, it's a video about how, how he's learned right from wrong and his testimony. I want you to take a look at it. Nope. Yep. Nope. Yep. Nope. Yep. <laughs> so hold on to that video, because I'm going to ask you to shoot a video like that from your phone here in a little bit. But um, um, let's jump into the book of Judges. Uh, there's this one phrase in the Old Testament that really captures what it would have been like to, to not have Jesus, to not know Jesus, for Jesus not to come to this, to this world. But as I lead up to this verse... I want to give you a little bit of a backstory information about, about Judges. So the first thing I want you to understand is, is this was written between 1040 B.C. and 1020 B.C., and most, most people believe uh, Samuel was the prophet 
of, of this book. So the book of Judges is nestled uh, um, between the book of, of Joshua, right after the book of Joshua. So here's, here's chronologically what it would look like, because I, I think a lot of us kind of forget where it might place. So you have uh, the creation, and then you have Noah and Job. Abraham, there's their patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And then you have Joseph, um, and then you have Moses, and then Joshua dies, and then you have judges, and then you have the kings after that. So I want you to see that because I want you to understand the placement of the book of Judges. Um, the book of Judges, uh, the, the Israelites during this time, they had the Ten Commandments, right? That's what Moses, God gave Moses on Mount Sinai. So they had the Ten Commandments. They had the 613 laws. They were educated. You might think of them as they went to church, they, they, they heard lessons from, from Moses, and, and, and they understood what God wanted them to do, and they know the story of the exodus out of Egypt, and they know the story of how God called Abraham in Genesis chapter 15, and they know the story of Isaac, his son, and the story of, of Jacob, and they, they have all that information. Sometimes we think, if I have more information, I'll be a different person. Not necessarily. The Israelites at this time were educated way beyond their obedience, like, like many of us. For, for a lot of us, you don't necessarily need another church service. You don't need another lesson. It's just a question of your heart. It's a question of surrender. It's a question of obedience. It's a question of following, whether you really want to trust him and follow him. Well, the Israelites during this time, when Joshua, um, if you remember, Moses was, was leading the Israelites to the promised land, and, and there was this whole thing that happened with some spies, and they got cold feet, and they ended up wandering in the wilderness. And Joshua ends up taking over, and Joshua's job was to take the Israelites into the promised land. So the promised land, that's Canaan. That's what the promised land is. And, and, and Joshua does that, and there's these giants. They're Canaanites. There's these pagan armies in Canaan, and God wanted the Is Israel to go into Canaan and to destroy them one by one. And one by one, to, 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 to destroy them because he was demonstrating his, his holiness, his righteousness, that there's no God like him. So they go into Canaan, and, but Scripture is really interesting. Scripture tells us that God intentionally left certain armies there, certain pagan armies, Canaanites there. And the reason why he left them there was he was going to test the heart of Israel. So now when Joshua dies, there's still some Canaanites there. Joshua dies, and now the Israelites are kind of left up to themselves now. And God is watching them. So Judges really starts with the death of Joshua, and it ends with the coronation of this new king named Saul. That's where it is. So this book of Judges that's found in your Bible uh, just captures the heart of, of uh, humanity and where we're at. I'm going to read Judges chapter 2. helps us understand it a little bit. Uh, then the Lord raised up judges to rescue the Israelites from their attackers. Now, these judges, incidentally, they're not like judges that you would find in the courtroom. These are like chief tribal leaders. That's who these are. They're, they're, that's, they don't wear black robes or anything like that. Uh, they're, they're these, these uh, leaders. I'm hesitant to say spiritual leaders because... They weren't great spiritual people. You know, the, the people, the, probably the two judges that people are most familiar with is this guy named Gideon, who was really a coward. 
and this other guy named Samson, who everybody loves his strength, but the guy had a real issue with women, and, and, uh, and he didn't really follow God wholeheartedly. So those are the two judges most of us are familiar with. Verse 17 says, Yet Israel did not listen to the judges, but prostituted themselves by worshiping other gods. How quickly they turned away from the path of their ancestors who had walked in obedience to the Lord's command. So what would happen, you see, in this thing was, is you see this pattern happen. And in fact, chapter this, this, these two verses that we, we read here tells us that God raised up these judges specifically because these people, the Israelites, were prone to, to sin, to rebellion, to wander, to all the, and then they would get in trouble, and they would cry out to God, and then God would raise up a judge, and God would kind of send his Holy Spirit on this judge, and the judge would do something and, and deliver them, and then they would get caught up in this mess again. Chapters 3 through 16 is a story of these corrupt judges, and there's 12 of them, and you see this progression that happens from like, they're, they're pretty good, and then they, they go to okay, and they go to bad, and they get to worse. In fact, the book of Judges is known for its cycle, the book of Judges. If you did any kind of study on the book of Judges, you would find a spiritual cycle. And here's what it looks like in a general way. First, you have their sin. So you see that they sin. And then they have this oppression or problems because of their sin. And then they, they, there's this supplication. In other words, they pray. They cry out to God, and they say, God, we screwed up. I can't believe it. Help us, God. We're in trouble. We're in over our heads. And then God would deliver them, and that's called salvation, and that's when he would provide a judge. So God would deliver them in that, in that, in that time. They would get delivered, and then there would be a season of rest. We're like, oh, everything's at peace. And then it would start all over again. They'd start with sin again. And, and, and it'd go to sin and oppression and supplication and salvation and rest and and then a little time would go by, and then they would sin again. And then it would. And as I saw that, the first thought was like, "Gosh, I feel like I know that cycle too." Anybody else with me? Like, I know that cycle too. I've been there before, where I'm like, "Oh, why did I do this?" And now I have. I'm living in this. I have this problem, this whatever kind of problem it is. And God, I need you to help me. And then God, God, God helps me. And then there's this period of rest, and and then I then I then I mess up again. And it's kind of the cycle of humanity. And the book of Judges is known for its cycle. You see this cycle throughout the book, throughout the book. Now, <clears throat> chapter 17 through 21, humanity sinks to an all-time low. We're done talking about all these judges. And chapter 17 through 21 is a dark time. In fact, in these chapters, if you wanted to put a rating on it, it wouldn't be, wouldn't be G or PG or PG-13. It'd be rated R, easy. There's rape. There's murder, um, <clears throat> a woman gets chopped up, um, all kinds of crazy stuff happens in Judges chapter 17 through 21. Uh, if you ever wonder about the heart of it, you know, Jeremiah says the heart is deceitfully wicked, who could understand it? It's deceitfully wicked, who could understand it? And Judges chapter 17 really, really paints this picture, but it starts off with this story, and this story launches all kinds of issues. So I'm going to start reading in Judges chapter 17, verse 1. It says this, there was a man named Micah, um, what's his name, church? Micah, there you go, who lived in the hill country of Ephraim. One day, he said to his mother, I heard you place a curse on the person who stole 1,100 pieces of silver from you. Well, I have the money I was the one who took it. 
The Lord bless you for admitting it, his mother replied. Really odd. So when you read chapter 17 through 20, it's just odd. It doesn't make any sense. It's because there's the, the right and wrong is all skewed up. That's why it's just weird. And, and this is just weird because mom had silver taken from her. And then the son says, ah, I'm the one who took it. And then she blesses him for admitting it. And, and it, it just gets weirder uh, from here on. Verse 3 says this. Um, he returned the money to her and she said, I now dedicate these silver coins to the Lord in honor of my son. I will have an image carved and an idol cast. Weird. So now that she tells the son, oh, I'm so happy you admitted. That's so big of you. And, and to honor God, I'm going to create an idol for you. Have you ever been in a situation where like, you're talking to someone and you're looking at their ethics and you're thinking, this is all so weird. I don't, how, how are you making sense of this? Why is this right? Why is this wrong? You're not making any sense with, with uh, it's because there's this lack of morality. And, and, and mom here is saying, uh, it's the love of a mother. I'm so proud of you for admitting that you stole from me. <laughs> I'm so proud of that. And to reward you, here's an idol. We're going to make an idol that we could worship together this idol to honor the living God. Okay? And this idol, incidentally, gains traction. And eventually, a whole tribe known as Dan, a whole tribe of Dan eventually worships this idol when you, turn, when you flip the pages. Uh, verse 4 says this, So when he returned the money to his mother, she took 200 silver coins and gave them to a silversmith who made them into an image and an idol, and these were placed in Micah's house. So now you have like this, you know, idol in his house. And verse 5 says, Micah set up a shrine for the idol, and he made a sacred ephod. You know what? An ephod was used during the, the tabernacle, and it's something that the priests would wear. So he's starting to incorporate things that he's learned in Sunday school. He's starting to incorporate things he's learned in church. And he's like, you know what? I know we should have this person. This, we should have a priest. I know we should have, you know, this is an important part of the ephod. So we should bring that in, and he's going to play church. And these were placed in Micah's house. Verse 5 says this, Micah set up a shrine for the idol, and he made a sacred ephod and some household idols. Then he installed one of his sons as his personal priest. So he looks to his sons and he says, hey, I know just based on what Moses talked to us about that we need a priest. Should be a Levite, but you know what? You're good enough. Come on over. You go ahead and you play the priest. Here's the robe you're to wear. We're to play. We're going to play church, and this is what you're going to do. Later on, when you flip the pages, guess what? He runs across a legit Levite, and he hires the new Levite to be his priest because he realizes, oh, if I get a real Levite, because this is the way you play church, then I will get the blessings of God. So he's starting to incorporate the stuff that he learned, but he's, it's, it's all customized. It's all his own, own gig. Verse 6 says this. Look at this. Let's, this is the verse right here. This verse right here is repeated four times between chapter 17 and chapter 21. Here it is. In those days, Israel had no king. And let's read the bold out loud together. All the people. One more time. All the people. It would ever seem right. So if you think this is all just weird, it's because of that. 
all the people did whatever seemed right in their own eyes. In their own eyes. <clears throat> people look to their self to guide their morality, their ethics. Uh, one Bible scholar said this, everyone doing what was right in their own eyes signifies a highly individualistic and self-centered social reality. It was not simply that the people were self-interested. Their basis for morality, right and wrong, was centered upon their own will and desires. <clears throat> so during this time, there was moral confusion. Good, the line between good and evil was deteriorating. Uh, they, they, were, they were preaching tolerance. They were saying things like, who are you to judge? You know, right and wrong was not so obvious anymore. And this natural progression of the sinful human nature was occurring. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Now, as I think about this, I think, gosh, are we that different do, do we customize our theology a bit? Do we have that propensity, that condition that they had here in Judges chapter 17? Are, are we able to customize our theology? So let me, let me just say, ask you a few questions here. <clears throat> Am I a Christian even though I don't read my Bible? Can I be a Christian? You don't have to shout it out. Am I going to go to heaven even though I, I, uh, I don't forgive? Am I going to heaven? Um, <clears throat> am I considered a spiritually mature follower of Christ, even though I don't give? I don't, I don't honor him with a, a tithe, certainly. I don't do that. A am, I, am, I still, am I still, like, like <clears throat> holy, and am I still a good person, even though I don't treat my body with, with honor, and I, I do things with my body that I shouldn't, and I'm still a Christian. I'm still going to... I, I'm, am I still a Christian even though I, 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 I don't love like God wants me to love? And I don't... You know, am I still... A, you understand? Well, don't we customize our own theology a bit? Just a bit. Don't we say we're good when we know there's things in our life that, that probably wouldn't match up to this, but what we do is we say, God, I want you, I don't want, I want you to turn your head and you see the way I treat you see the way I disrespect. You see the way I steal sometimes and I lie sometimes and I, I cheat. You see what I do at night. You see me, God, when I, I want you to turn away from these things right here, God. They're not a really big deal because I'm a good person. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Now, if you follow that logic for a little bit, guess what? Your reasoning, you'll be on the top every time at the end. At the end of everything, you're going to be on the top, and you're going to say things like, yeah, you, don't, right, you can be a good person. You know what? You can worship God anywhere. You know what? You don't need to go to church. You know what? This loving thing, loving everyone, well, it depends on how, how did you get hurt by them? Well, it depends. I mean, you'll be on the top every time. I don't really have to give. God knows my situation. I don't really have to. Yeah, I don't really have to. I mean, you can, you'll be on the top every time. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. So what you have to remember is we have a God who is holy. God sets the standard, not you, not me. God sets the standard. 
And if you look in, even in the Gospels and you see in, in the Sermon on the Mountain, you see Jesus say stuff like, you have heard it was written, <coughs> you shall not, but I say. And he's, he's educating. It's a heart issue. God wants you, your heart, he wants your heart to understand him. And he has these, these laws that he puts into place because he wants you to know him and, and he wants you to have the best possible life. God wanted Israel to go into Canaan and conquer these pagan nations. And he left these pagan nations there. And I like the way this one scholar said it. It becomes crystal clear that the true enemy facing Israel has little to do with the armies of Israel's godless neighbors. Israel's true enemy is Israel. <laughs> That's strong. It wasn't the Canaanites. So what she's saying is right. I mean, it's right. I, I, my greatest battle happens within my own chest cavity. My greatest battle are my own thoughts that I work through. Isn't that the same case for you? Your greatest battles, it's not your, your, your job, your boss, your finances or whatever, but your greatest battle is, is the things that work on in your own heart, your choice to love, your choice to forgive, your choice to surrender, your, your choice to fill your thoughts with God's word, the habits that you choose. That's your greatest battle because everything that comes out of your mouth is a tattletale of your heart. Everything that comes out of your mouth is a tattletale of your heart and your thought life. God wants to give you the spirit of self-control and discipline. Your greatest battle in life will not be a problem you face. It'll be the giant within you called pride. It'll be the giant within you called lust. It'll be the giant within you called jealousy, called anger, called superiority, called greed, called hate. Whatever it is, that's the greatest battle. And Jesus understood this. So when you look at, at this life BC and you look at Judges chapter 17, there's a couple of things I want, I want you to hear. When it's based on your eyes alone, eventually nothing is sacred. That's where you will drift. Nothing is sacred. And you, and you look at Micah. Micah stole from his mother. Nothing is sacred. No one is sacred. Eventually, there's this lack of fear of God when you continue down this path. When you determine what's right, you'll steal from your parents, your friends, your church. You'll cheat. You'll not care. You'll use people. You'll worship other gods. You'll customize good for your bad. You'll want God's blessings, even though there's no obedience. And you become the center of your theology. You become the center of your theology. And the devil is so deceptive. He's known as an accuser, and he's deceptive, and he's the father of lies. He's so good at this, where you could, he would be, he's okay with you writing and studying God's word, and you being the center of your own theology. He's okay with that. He's okay with you going to church and raising your hands to worship God, but harnessing hate and unforgiveness toward your brother or your sister. He's okay with that. <clears throat> Isaiah chapter 5 says this, What sorrow for those who say that evil is good and good is evil, 
that dark is light and light is dark, that bitter is sweet and sweet is bitter. What sorrow for those who are wise in their own eyes and think themselves so clever. What sorrow. What sorrow. I think what most people miss is, is the purpose of God's commandments. <clears throat> we, ever since the spiritual fall of, of, of Adam and Eve, this world has been marred by sin. And there's things that happen in this world that are just, just don't make any sense because our world is marred by sin. And, and, and what God has done, st- he, he, he said, you're still my children, and I'm, 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 I still love you, and I want to show you, because he's a holy God, he said, I want to show you how to walk. So he gives us these commandments. So, so you have to understand, the re- purpose behind these commandments is to give you the best life, because God loves you. Let me ask you this way, parents, some of you, your kids are at this stage right now. Others of you, your kids used to be in this stage. But when your kids were really young, like, I don't know, three years old or something like that, and when you go to King Super and, and you hold on to their hands and, and, and you're walking through the parking lot at King Super's, why don't you let go of their hands and let the kids run everywhere in the parking lot of King Super's? You're just a mean parent. You should respect their freedom. Don't be the fun police. Let them do whatever they want. How can you limit them like that? No, you hold on to their hand. Why? Because you know the danger of them running around in that parking lot. They don't understand fully what could happen, right? So you hold on to them because you love them. It's the same thing with our relationship with God. God gives us these commandments because he wants to hold our hand. He wants you to know the best life possible. He wants you to experience him completely. He's not the fun police. He's not the fun police. He says, don't get drunk with wine, but be filled with my spirit. He's not the fun police. He wants you to know him wholeheartedly. I like what uh, Francis Chan said this. He said, the world needs Christians who don't tolerate the complacency of their own lives. Isn't that good? You know what a growing, spiritual, mature person looks like? It's when God exposes something in their life and they say, whew, God, help me with this. You don't close the door, but when it becomes exposed, you say, oh, wow, God, I don't like that attitude I have. I need you to help me there. I need you to help me. Oh, wow, God, you showed me my heart here. I thought I was, you know, God, I need you to take care of this. And, and nothing is excused. You say, God, I give you free license and whatever you want to do, take care of it in my own heart. Take care of it, God. Proverbs chapter two, 21 says this, people may be right in their own eyes, but the Lord examines their heart. So, <clears throat> Ultimately, God is the one who examines. You may be right in your own eyes, but ultimately God is the one who sees everything clearly. The other thing I want you to hear is this. When it's based on your eyes alone, eventually there is confusion. Eventually there's confusion. The reason why there's confusion is because you do everything that's right according to your own eyes. Well, eventually it's inconsistent. There's inconsistency, um, and, and it, it's not, it, people just don't understand it. So, so, so you see this, Micah's mom, um, she doesn't correct her son. She honors him because he admitted 
that he stole from her. And he says, now, now, now here's what I'm going to do because I'm so proud that you admitted that you're a thief. I'm so proud of that. And now what I'm going to do is I'm going to create this idol for you, and then you can worship this idol. None of it makes sense. None of it makes sense. Parents, let me say this with nothing but love. <laughs> it's your job to point your child to Jesus. It's your job to tell them what's right and what's wrong. It's your job. Sometimes we're so concerned because they're so cute and you want them to be happy. You excuse things. You let things go. But it's your job. Let me tell you something else. The only way that works is if you live a consistent life with your relationship with God. It's the only way it works. If you don't live that kind of life, then you just appear hypocritical. You just appear hypocritical. But you show them what it looks like to love and to serve and to worship, to walk with God. That's your part. Something happens in this climate of confusion. Moral relativism is born. Here's what moral relativism is. Moral relativism is the idea that there is no universal or absolute set of moral principles. It's a version of morality that advocates to each their own. And those who follow it say, who am I to judge? That's the world of everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Eventually you get to this place where, you know what? <clears throat> it may be right for you, but it's not right for me. It might be right for me, but it may not be right for you. Everything is up. There's no absolute, there's no true right. There's no true wrong. It's up to how you interpret it. That's what's right from wrong. So this goes away. There's no set of anymore. In fact, you should let your child go at King Supers because in their eyes, they're okay and they're safe and they're fine. And if they think they're safe, then let them go and let them run. There's no right or wrong at all. It's a version of morality that advocates to each as their own. And if you say anything about what I believe, how dare you are to judge me? If you say anything about how I see myself and as a good person, how I see myself, how dare you are to judge me? That's moral relativism. That's where it goes. That's where it goes. And check this out. <clears throat> check this out. When you flip the pages of Judges, you see this God, and you see the, the, the human condition of, of, of uh, humanity and, and, and the way they determine right from wrong. And this is life without Jesus. This is life before Jesus. This is what we're left to, and this is how we, we, we treat God's word. But you see the love of God. I want you to hear this. God will work with what he's got. In this book, there's a famous story involving Samson, and there's Delilah cutting off his hair. You might be familiar with this story. He gives her, lets her know the secret. He's a Nazarite, <clears throat> and he took the Nazarite vow, and he wasn't ever to cut his hair. And when he cuts his hair, he loses his strength. So he eventually tells this woman about his strength, which I, I can't tell you how many men I've seen um, make mistakes like that. But <clears throat> eventually, but what you see in this is you see these judges, and you see their feet of clay. You see their weakness. You see their flesh. You see that you see, you know, their, their, their pitfalls. You see all that. And yet in the midst of all this, God works with what he's got. God still uses Samson. There's a beautiful verse in Judges about Samson. And you know what it says? His hair began to grow back. 
It's beautiful. It's a really short verse. It just says his hair began to grow back. It's God's grace. And God says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, even in spite of you, it's like God knows what's at stake. God knows what's at stake. God sees the future. God sees your home. God sees that road where it leads to. And, and God loves you so much. He's just such a loving God. In, in, in Luke chapter 15, I got to go to New Testament, I'm sorry. In Luke chapter 15, there's, you know, the Israelites were very much uh, known as sheep. That's what he refers to them. And in chapter 15, it says this, Now all the tax collectors and the sinners were coming near him to listen to him. Both the Pharisees and the scribes began to grumble, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. This is the same God that is God of Judges, chapter 17 to 21. So he told them this parable, saying, What man among you, if he has a hundred sheep and has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open pasture and go after the one which is lost until he finds it. When he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. I tell you that in the same way there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. That's the heart of God. And you see Jesus <coughs> saying there's more joy in heaven. It, God's heart is filled with joy and dances when he sees someone turn to him with all of his heart. That's the God we have. And I'm so grateful that we're not stuck in the book of Judges. And let me just caution you. Don't live your life based on doing what's right in your own eyes alone. That's a dangerous life. You could reason through anything. John Maxwell said, we have the endless capacity to reason. So you'll never run out of fuel to reason and be on top. Instead, I want to encourage you to look to God's word. Look to God's word, meditate on it, read it every day. Ask God to speak to you and let God's word, <laughs> let him hold your hand. Let him hold your hand and experience the life he has for you. Christmas Eve services are happening on December 24. We're going to have uh, several services. Um, there's going to be a 1 p.m. service, a 3 p.m., a 5 p.m., and a 7 p.m. So we've got four services. Now, Christmas Eve is the new Easter. Ten years ago, 20 years ago, those people who rarely went to church would go to church on Christmas Eve. That doesn't happen anymore, at least in our, in our world. Now, typically, believers go to Easter services, but those people who don't go to church will typically not go to church on Easter. Now, Christmas Eve has become the new Easter where people will go with their families to church. So we're going to put a lot of energy into our Christmas Eve services, and we need your help, okay? Here's the theme for Christmas Eve services. It's hashtag hope is my story. So we're going to focus on the hope that comes in the name of Jesus Christ. So we want you to participate with this. So Pastor Jeremy put together a video. Let me show you what it looks like here. So when I was younger, I thought uh, Jesus was just a golden ticket into heaven. Uh, 
In fact, in my 20s, I was involved in a lot of drugs and alcohol, and I thought I just had to pray at the end of the night, say, forgive me, and I could get to heaven, and I could just do the whole thing over again. But uh, when I really met Jesus and he transformed my life, I realized that it's so much more. And the dread, the despair of being alone and afraid was gone. Uh, Jesus is my hope and hope is my story. All right, so we want you to create a video like that, however God has moved in your life. And we want you to put hashtag hope is my story attached to that video. So you can do it in TikTok, you can do it in Instagram, Facebook, whatever. Our hope and prayer is that that right there communicates with other people and it's shared. We want you to tag it to Thorn Creek if possible, but put hashtag Hope is my story. Do it with your phone. We're doing something this, the year, this year that we've never done here before. Usually we send out about 25, 30,000 postcards. We're not doing the postcards this year. This is what we're doing. So we're counting on you to be a part of it. And just share what God has done in your own words and put hashtag hope is my story. So we want you to start this immediately, like in as today, tomorrow, uh, because we only have a few weeks. And the whole service is going to be designed around this idea of the hope that we find in Jesus Christ. Make sure you do that and be a part of that. I want to read to you something else here. In Mark chapter 14, it says, While they were eating, he took some bread, and after a blessing, he broke it and gave it to them and said, Take it, this is my body. And when he had taken a cup and given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank from it. And he said to them, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. <clears throat> Communion. The bread that we have on, on this table right here represents the body of our Lord Jesus Christ. And this has been going on for 2,000 years. You are participating in something that has been going on for 2,000 years. And every time we, we, we take the bread, which represents his body, and we drink the juice that represents his blood, we are proclaiming that Jesus Christ is Lord. And by faith, we believe that Jesus will return again. So it really is an action confessional step where you're going forward and you're saying, Jesus, you are my Lord. My faith is in you. You are my God. My hope is in you. And thank God for his blood. Thank God for the blood of Jesus. Thank God for his body that hung on that tree. It's because of his blood that our sins are forgiven. It's because of his blood that we no longer have to have any kind of animal sacrifices like the Old Testament anymore. It's because he did it once and for all, for all of us. And by faith we do it. Because it happened 2,000 years ago. So we're all here by faith, right? We're all here by faith. And that's why we do it. Our faith is in Jesus Christ. So if you are a believer and that's you, then we would encourage you to come forward and take communion. Now, if you're at a place right now where maybe there's something weighing on your heart and you're just, you just feel like I need to get this settled, here's what we have. On the sides of the walls, we have these wooden benches. There's one on each side. And we would encourage you to go pray first. Pray first, make sure your heart is right, and then take communion. Here at Thorn Creek, it's a safe place for you to cry out to God. 
And it's a safe place for seekers to explore who Christ is as well. Non-believers are welcome at Thorn Creek Church. Absolutely. And you can still belong. So if you're at a place where you're just not there yet, you're not a Christian, and right now you're not ready to make that spiritual decision to be a Christian, I want to encourage you to stay seated where you are at. Don't go through the motions when it doesn't mean anything. Don't fake it. Don't do that. Stay where you're at and have your own time with God. Keep coming to church. Keep exploring. All right? Jesus, thank you for what you did for us. Boy, those words, just just not enough. Thank you for going to the cross for us. Thank you for the blood that was shed for us. Thank you for uh, going to the grave for us. And thank you for resurrecting. (laughs) Thank you for that day when the grave was empty. Thank you for being our mediator. Thank you for sitting on the right-hand side of the Father and yet walking with us simultaneously. It's a beautiful mystery. Thank you for sending your Holy Spirit to us. We need your Holy Spirit to live out a righteous life, to know your will, God, to know what's right and what's wrong. Thank you. And Jesus, by faith, we believe one day you will return, whether it's in our lifetime or our children's or their children. Whenever it is, we believe one day you will return. And as we take communion, we declare, Jesus, that you are Lord of our lives. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Each year, thousands of Thorn Creek Church messages are downloaded for free. This ministry is generously supported by Thorn Creek Church members and listeners like you. If you'd like to support this ministry, please consider making a tax-deductible donation by visiting thorncreek.church/give.